Hey listeners, I'm Pastor Brian Dwyer, and you're listening to the Pursue God Truth Podcast on a Tuesday. Pastor Ross Anderson joins me for today's topic. And remember, you can find resources to have this conversation with your family, small group, or mentor. Find it all at PursueGod.org. Okay, everybody, it's Tuesday, and that means, Ross, we are in for another treat, because today we're starting, what is this, a six-week series that we're calling Shema. If you're listening uh, to the podcast and you want to talk about this with your family or your small group or your mentor, we have the series assets, resources, small group questions, this podcast, along with a, a helpful, short, small group length video that you can use for your small groups on the series called Shema, pursuegod.org forward slash Shema. And Ross, this whole series is going to be unpacking a really famous verse in the Old Testament that is probably made even more famous for non-Jews today because Jesus quotes it. So let's start with let's start with Jesus and then let's sort of set up this whole series and explain what what is this word Shema. Mark chapter 12, verses 28 and 29, it's one of the teachers of religious law was standing there listening to this debate uh, there with Jesus. And he realized that Jesus was doing a pretty good job debating the Pharisees. And so he asked this question, of all the commandments, which is the most important? Now, he's probably talking about the Ten Commandments, but Jesus' answer was this. He said, the most important commandment is this, listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord. And so what Jesus said right there, the answer to to the the religious teacher's question was Jesus quoted the Shema. So Ross, what in the world? Like he he didn't he didn't pull one of the Ten Commandments, but he quotes the Shema. What's the Shema? Yeah, that's really interesting, Brian. That Jesus quoted from this, and what this really is is maybe our our listeners are not as familiar with this as you mentioned the Ten Commandments. But what this is is this is part of Moses's statement to the children of Israel in Deuteronomy chapter 6, just before they're going to enter the promised land, and he's trying to tell them, hey, this is how you're going to live in that land. And so it's Deuteronomy 6, and he says, this prayer has become kind of a, a central part of Jewish life and Jewish culture. It's prayed by Jewish believers every morning, every evening, has been for centuries. It's kind of like the way we would uh, recite the Pledge of Allegiance in school, you know, growing up. This is the kind of thing that this became normal because it declares a person's devotion to God and it demonstrates the character of God, shows us how to respond to God and this and how to maintain an intimate relationship with God. So that's why Moses is saying, hey, this is the most important thing before you uh, go into this land that God is giving you. And so we're going to look um, at, at each word, specific words in the prayer, and, and unwrap those words, the meaning of those words in this series. And the fact that Jesus referred to this as the answer to this key question about the most important commandment, that shows how significant it is in the life of the Jewish people and how significant it is to us as Christ followers. And so that's what we're going to look at. So it's really, I mean, I think for Americans, it's helpful to think of this like the Pledge of Allegiance, right? This is, this is something that the Jewish, Jewish kids, Jewish families would have recited morning and evening. It was a big deal among Jews. And so, Ross, for 
our Gentile listeners, our non-Jewish listeners, they might think, well, I don't really, this isn't, I'm a Christian, I'm not a Jew, I don't really need to understand this, this isn't really relevant for me today, but I think there's so much to understand here as we as we look at each of these different words in the Shema, Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 5, let me read that again. Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength. So we're going to be, the words we're going to be deep, taking a deep dive on in this series are the word listen, that's today, the word Lord, the word love, the word heart, soul and strength. So six different words. We're going to be looking at the Hebrew words, what it meant for a Jewish listener, and then how that might relate to the Christian listeners today. And the first word is listen. And that word literally, that literally means Shema. So that's why they called this the Shema is because it's the first word in, in this, uh, in this pledge, this Jewish pledge of allegiance. The first word that they would recite when they said the prayer, and so that become the name of it. Um, and there's so much involved in each one of those words. But today, as we look at the word Shema, again, it means listen or hear. Um, it's so much more than just sound entering your ears. There's so many more implications in the Hebrew language for this word that really teach us a lot. Teach a lot about listening, but also teaches a lot about our relationship with God. So first of all, we'd say that to listen means to pay close attention, to pay close attention. Like your, like your parents said when you were a kid, aren't you listening to me or why aren't you listening to me? Well, you might have heard what they're saying, but you weren't paying close attention. Yeah, and, the, and really this, uh, this concept is highlighted in the, in the story of, of Leah, right? This, this story of Jacob and Leah, um, Abraham. It's it's a, remember Jacob was a descendant of Abraham. He had two wives, Rachel and Leah. I, I don't know if our listeners are aware of this, but he really loved Rachel, um, and Leah was kind of like the second class wife. So she felt she felt pretty rejected, like you would expect. Genesis twenty nine thirty three says that she soon became pregnant and gave birth to a son, and she named him Simeon, for she said, "The Lord heard that I was unloved." And has given me another son. How does the how does the name names were a big deal for for the Jewish nation and the Old Testament names always meant something. What does the name Simeon mean, and how is it connected to the Shema? Yeah, we was in, probably in Hebrew they would have said that name Shimon with a, you see the S H and the M would be Shema in there, and the name means something like the one who hears. And so her son, every time she would look at her son, it would remind her of the character of God, the nature of God who paid attention to her request, to her plight in life. She cries out to God in, in her need, and he hears her, he helps her, and that son was always going to be a reminder of that, that, that God, she learned that God pays attention, that God is the one who hears, so that he, he really focuses on what we're saying to him, and we have the privilege, as she, as she did, of crying out to God in our in trouble. And so that's comforting for us to know. We're not going to name all of our sons Simeon, but this is something that we can find ways to remember uh, how God has heard us. And we call out to him, the, God, the nature of God is that God is a God who pays close attention to us in our prayer. Yeah, some of our listeners might 
you know, might, might be newer to a pursuit of God. They might be just exploring the God of the Bible. Maybe they f- they stumbled across this podcast and they're interested in, I don't know, they're just interested in the title, or they're they're beginning to get interested in a pursuit of God. A lot of people have this idea of God that he he's not interested in people. In fact, this was a, you know, this is the one of the famous ideas that that the secular world has is that God is, a, if there is a God that he's just like this watchmaker God, that he, he set the world into existence. He kind of wound up the wa- the clock and then he just stepped away and he's not interested, but the Bible paints a different picture. And so for any modern day seeker, it's important for them to know that, that God is someone who is paying close attention, that God does actually care about all of us. Yeah. So this is really something that informs the whole idea of prayer, that we can pray, we should pray, and it's a it's something that opens the door in our relationship with God. It's like if you use a human analogy, you know, like you, you love your spouse or you love your kids, you want to listen to what they say. You want to pay attention. You know, you come home from work at the end of the day and you sit down with your kids, how was your day? What did you do today? And you're focused on, that's the way God is toward us as his children. Okay, so Shema means to pay close attention, but it also means to act on a request. It also means to respond, right? And, and this is really the sense of the word in Psalm 27, 7. The prayer goes like this, hear me as I pray, O Lord, be merciful and answer me. So there's that word again, the word hear, but in this context, it's more than just, you know, God, I want you to hear me. The, the sense is, I want you to respond. I need you to respond to what I'm saying. The thing about that word and, and the way that word is used in Hebrew is that it, it's implied that, that hearing means taking action. You don't just hear abstractly or, or hear just in the ideal, but you hear to really hear. It's not, again, it's not just listen. It's not just like sound waves hitting your ear, but um, we're gonna, you're going to do something in response to that. And so. When we ask God to hear us in prayer, we're really asking God to hear and act, to do something on what, we, what he said, what we've said to him, to do something for us. And it could be anything. It could be, we have God, I need God's help. We need his forgiveness, his presence, his wisdom, his provision, and all the rest. And so David was praying. Um, he says, be merciful to me, answer me. That was the thing that he was asking God to do for him, that he was expecting that God would hear by being merciful and by giving him answers. And so um, the fact is that God hears us and he responds to our requests. Now, so far, Russ, we've been talking about God hearing us, but actually the Shema is about God speaking to us and telling us to hear so, I mean, it's important to understand the word Shema and some of the places that we see it in Scripture, but probably the most important thing to talk about for our listeners today is that the word Shema means to put what you hear into practice. And in the Hebrew language, this is interesting for non-Hebrew speakers, listening and doing are two sides of the same coin. There's actually no unique Hebrew word for the word obey so when we read a, a verse like this, Exodus 19.5, the word Shema is in the original language. Now, if you will, Shema me and keep my covenant, and, and in English, the word is obey. If you will obey me and keep my covenant, you will be my own special treasure from among all the peoples on the earth, for all the earth belongs 
to me. So the word obey in Exodus 19.5 is actually the same word as listen or hear. Yeah, there's no separate word. It's interesting. really interesting about Hebrew language because the, the Hebrew culture was so much about obedience and so much about following God's law and so forth, and yet there's no word for obey. God, God assumes that if you hear, if you hear the voice of His authority, then you're going to do what He says. And just like we said, that's what we, how we got want God to answer us in prayer. And it's the same thing. The flip side. Uh, of the coin is that we, when we hear from God, we're going to put it into practice. And so, interestingly enough, um, in Exodus 19.5, God actually says it twice. He says, now you read, if you will obey me, but in Hebrew it says, if you will shema, shema me. It's repeated. And so there's a double uh, shema there that creates a sense of intensity. And so in t- to translate it literally in English, you'd say, if you will obey, obey me. But, well, that doesn't make sense to us. But what does make sense is if you will really, really obey me, if you will like double obey me. Um, and so he's saying, really, really listen to me. And so um, if you hear God, then you do what he says. Um, and, and then we're going to drill down in the in the weeks to come in this series about what that means, about different aspects of our human nature, just what it is that, that we're going to obey God, what we're going to do when we respond to who God is. But the point is, is that this is really the way of saying, um, obey me, follow me, is to say Shema. Okay, so let's, let's kind of summarize and back up, because I don't want our listeners to get the wrong idea. Okay, so... Deuteronomy 6, this, this, when, when God first speaks the Shema to the people of Israel, which becomes this mantra, this pledge of allegiance for the Jewish people from the days of Moses all the way into the days of Jesus, th- this, this pledge is all about being obedient. It's all about, to use the language of Exodus 19, it's all about keeping God's covenant. In fact, he says it there, if you keep my covenant, then you'll be my own special tre- my special treasure from among all the people. Then, you know, then I'm going to love you. Then I'm going to take care of you. Then I'm going to bless you. It's almost the sense that you get. In other words, the sense that you get is if we would keep our part of the covenant, then God will keep his part of the covenant. Ross, that sounds suspect to, to me, looking at it through the eyes of biblical evangelical Christianity that sounds like works-based righteousness. It sounds like Moses is setting up the people of Israel with this Shema prayer. He's setting them up for failure because did, did the, could the people ever Shema in the Old Testament? Once we dig into the prayer and go into it in the coming weeks, we're going to see how very challenging it is. It calls for a complete, total commitment of every aspect of our being, and I, we're going. Like, I'm going like, well, you know, when when do I ever ha- uh, do that? You know, it's it's pretty rare when that actually happens, much less consistently. But let me just back up for one second before we explore the solution to that conundrum, and just say the nature of a covenant. What is a covenant? A covenant in the Bible, the covenant is simply God says, "You'll be my people, and I'll be your God." A covenant is this then kind of unique relationship where God says, I'm choosing you. I'm not choosing all the other nations of the world to be my people. And, and he says, you'll, uh, you'll be my people. I'll be your God. He says, I'm making a commitment to you that as I choose you, I'm also committing to your well-being, to your welfare. But in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant, literally what that means, 
Um, there is provisions. The law of Moses would say, here's what it means to be my people. And in a sense, we could say the Shema is a summary of that. Here's what it means to be my people. And so this, this nature, the nature of this relationship with God involves some kind of stipulations in a sense. It involves an identity. This is how the identity carries out. Now, it wasn't because they fulfilled the stipulation that God chose them. God's choice of them was completely unconditional, completely by his grace. But he says, now that I have chosen you, there's a certain way that you should live. And that's, that's captured in the Shema. And so, yeah, that, that, in, in some context, that could sound like, oh, we're really saying I got to earn my way to God. I've really got to live up to all these expectations. And that's how some people understand the idea of covenant, that, that if you do all the things that God says, he's going to bless you. And so that is why I think I'm glad you brought this up, because it's really important to understand the larger context of the Old Testament. Um, to, in fact, all of the commandments, the covenant, the commandments, all the things, the law of Moses, all of what that involves, that could be confusing to Christians who now, in Jesus, we're under the new covenant, it's called. But So what does that mean? And I think, I think there's some important data points um, in the later parts of the Old Testament and the prophets where Israel had failed to live this, and um, just like we would if we were on our own. And so that there's some hope that comes in in the latter parts um, of the Old Testament about how to not fail at hearing God and doing what he says. Yeah, the, it's many times the prophets in the Old Testament would say things like this. They have ears, but they're not listening. They have the, they have the physical you know, body part that you're supposed to use to listen to Shema, but they're not Shema-ing. They're hearing, but they're not listening. And this is a problem not just for the Old Testament followers of God, but even for modern-day followers of God. And that's why when you read Ezekiel 36, 26, and 27, it's so helpful and it's so hopeful. Here's, the, here's God's answer to the Shema problem. He says, I will give you a new heart. This is the prophet Ezekiel prophesying about a future day that would come. I'll give you a new heart. I'll put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey. There's that word again. Be careful to obey my regulations. So the solution to the Shema problem, and again, the Shema problem is that God said, I want you to listen. I want you to hear. I want you to obey. I want you to keep my covenant. And remember, Moses is saying all this in Deuteronomy 6 before the Israelites are entering into the promised land. He's basically saying, hey, it's going to be good for you. It's going to be good for your families as you enter into the promised land, this, 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 this land of the covenant that God promised to give you. And here we are finally taking this promised land and we're going to set up a government. We're going to, that's essentially what the Ten Commandments were. It was like there. It was like the rules to live by in as a as a community of faith in the promised land. So I mean, it's this exciting time that the Israelites were entering in in Exodus there. And the, but as you continue to read the Old Testament, you see just failure after failure after failure. Because why? Because they couldn't shema. They couldn't listen and obey. They couldn't keep the covenant. So every morning and every night. These families would come together and and do the pledge, but it, it's kind of like they were just words, empty words. And so we fast forward to the end, and and now here this prophet Ezekiel is saying, "Look, 
there's going to be a day when all this, all this stuff that we set you up for in Deuteronomy 6, when all this stuff that we set you up for is finally going to be achievable, but it's not going to be achievable by your effort, by your intention, by your willpower. It's going to be achievable because I'm going to put my spirit in you so that you can shema. Yeah, so essentially, God says, look, I, I've got this whole new covenant I'm going to bring, and I'm going to do it a different way than the way we did it before. And so it's not like God says, no, don't, it doesn't matter if you hear me or not. It doesn't matter if you obey me or not. But he says, look, I'm going to be the one who provides the means, the power, the ability for, for you to obey me. So he says, I'll put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees. You will be careful. to." So that's what it takes. It, it doesn't, it's not in me inherently. I may want to for a while, or I may want to for impure motives or whatever, um, but I've got this stony, stubborn heart without God's work in my life. And he says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you this new way of approaching me, and it's going to be a whole new covenant. You're, I'll still say, you'll be my people, I'll be your God, but here's now, and it'll still be, as my people, you live a certain way, you have a certain identity. But now we have this whole new means. So Jesus came. He's the mediator of the new covenant. He came to forgive our sins, all the ways that we have acted uh, out of character with God. We forgot to hear him and obey him and all the ways that, that our heart has been stubborn. Jesus, I'll forgive all that. He died on the cross to forgive that. But, but more than that, he says, I'm going to pour my spirit out. I'm going to send my spirit on all who have believed and trusted in me. And that's going to be then as you walk in the power of the Spirit, as you stay connected with the Spirit of God and let Him work in you, then you have the capacity to totally shema me. So Ross, we started with Mark chapter 12, verses 28 and 29, and let's, let's come back to that. Now that we've been on this little Old Testament journey through the shema, Let's go back to that passage so that maybe our listeners can really understand this in, in a new light. Remember, it says there that one of the teachers of religious law was standing there and he asked Jesus this question, of all the commandments, which is the most important? Again, he's thinking about, most likely he's thinking about the Ten Commandments. He's probably thinking, thinking that Jesus is going to say, well, the first commandment or the fifth commandment or the eighth commandment. But Jesus didn't reply with, any of the commandments. The guy was trying to trap Jesus. But Jesus replies with, I like to think of the Shema as the preamble to the Ten Commandments. It's like the, it's like the, I don't know, like a, in, a, in a book, if you're, or it's, it's almost like the cliff notes, maybe. That's a good way to say it. It's the cliff notes for the Ten Commandments. It's, here's what the Ten Commandments are all about. And he says this, listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the only one and only Lord. So he quotes the Shema, something that the this teachers of religious law would have very, you know, intimately understood. It was pro- something that he probably just recited earlier that day with his kids at home. And now Jesus is like putting it back in his face and he's saying, this is the most important commandment and you know it by heart, but you're not actually living it because you can't, because you can't because we're all broken, we're all sinful, and we all need a Savior. So, Ross, maybe let's, let's sort of end this episode with, so how does Jesus fit into the Shema? We've talked about the Holy Spirit. We've talked about how 
Ezekiel said the Holy Spirit will come and will will enter into us and will move us from the inside out to be obedient to Shema, to listen and obey. How does Jesus fit into this whole picture? One way, kind of to back it up and look at it a little bit theologically, is one way is so when when God entered into covenant with Israel, the, the original, the first covenant, he said, here's how we're going to ratify this relationship. So, you know, when you get married in American culture, you go down, you know, you, you, you have a wedding and somebody says, you know, do you take? And you say, I do. There's a, so there's kind of a ratifying process and you fill out a, uh, a certificate and turn it into the county. Well, in, in back in those days, to ratify a covenant, and this was a true of covenants between nations and covenants between individuals and so forth. They say, well, I'm going to make a deal with you. I'm going to you know, have this relationship with you. The way that a covenant was ratified was through an animal sacrifice. And so on Mount Sinai, to initiate this original covenant, the Mosaic, because it's Moses, the Moses covenant, uh, there was a bunch of animals that were sacrificed by Israel as offering them as offerings to God. And so why don't we do that anymore? Well, because Jesus said, he, as the Messiah, he came to offer the ultimate sacrifice. Now, we often think of that sacrifice as being the forgiveness of our sins and the ways that we failed covenant. Well, that's very true. But, but there's also this element of it that we don't often think about is that Jesus' death on the cross and his blood spilled is ratified the, the new covenant. That's why he told uh, when he instituted communion with his followers on the last night before he was killed, the, in the Last Supper, he, he took the bread and he said, he took the cup and he passed it around. He said, this is my blood of the new covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. So the forgiveness aspect for sure. But Jesus' sacrifice says, I'm going to ratify, I'm going to create this whole new relationship between you and God that's now based on me paying for your sin. No more animal sacrifices because they're temporary. Me paying for sin permanently. But also, he says, I'm going to send my Holy Spirit to give you a whole new way of living. So Jesus is really at the core and central to the whole new covenant and the whole way that we can obey because, you know, he has given us a clean slate, a fresh start, and he's come in within us and brought about transformation by his Holy Spirit in some way that the Old Testament characters uh, were not able to uh, uh, recognize or participate in somehow. So Jesus is really at the heart of it all. Yeah, good summary of this is given by Paul in Ephesians 2, verses 8 through 10. He says this, God saved you by his grace when you believed. He's talking about believing in Jesus. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done, so none of us can boast about it. And so in verses 8 and 9, Paul is talking about the fact that that Jesus, by his blood, by his death and resurrection, establishes this new covenant that we can be a part of by faith. But then he says in verse 10, for we are God's masterpiece. He's created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he's planned for us long ago. There's the Shema. Jesus did it for us so that we could listen and obey. Now, the Israelites didn't understand all this in Deuteronomy 6. And the teachers of religious law didn't understand this in Mark chapter 12. But we today can step back and we can look at all of Scripture and say, oh, that's what this was about all along, is that Jesus would give us the ability to listen and obey, that, that even obedience 
is a gift of God's grace, just as salvation is. And it's all about Jesus. So that's week one in the Shema. Again, if you want to talk about this with your family, with a small group or a mentor, you can find all of it online at pursuegod.org forward slash Shema. And make sure to join us next week as we look at the second word in this Pledge of Allegiance. We're going to talk about Lord. Hey, listeners, Pastor Brian here. If you're enjoying our podcast, would you consider becoming a donor? Our goal is that these podcasts would reach the largest audience possible. So obviously it takes money to create good podcasts, but more than that, we want to make sure to market this to the whole nation and even to the world. That's where your donation comes in. So would you consider becoming a monthly donor? And to do it, just visit pursuegod.org forward slash donate.